Um, let's turn to the Gospel of John. I'll read it out for us, and then I'll invite Pete Coe to uh, uh, preach it through with us. Uh, John chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 26. So the Gospel of John chapter 4, verse 4, all the way down to uh, 26. And since Pete is reading, uh, teaching from the NIV, I will also read uh, from the NIV. Verse 4. Now he, uh, that is Jesus, had gone, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Well, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Well, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to, come keep, uh, have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. Well, the fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 22. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of God. Uh, With the quiz, so... Who's part of the winning team? Hands up. 
Let me gaze upon your glory. Good on you guys. Well done, well done. And I hope you stay dry as well. It's been pretty wet. Um, are you ready to uh, go to our next topic, which is on being a welcoming church? Yeah, this is uh, a really important one. So let me pray and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you that we, through Jesus, have experienced your tremendous welcome. And I pray that tonight, above all, that welcome will overflow into the way we treat outsiders, guests, and even the most unlikely people that might be drawn to our midst, especially here at Kingsway. Help this church to be a truly gospel-centered, welcoming church. Amen. Now, you may have heard of Secret Shopper. Yeah, when people are employed by companies to go and uh, check out a store and be a secret shop and they write reports. Um, I guess it's what like food critics do, essentially. They go undercover. There's even a, a TV show a while back. It was called Undercover Boss, yeah? Now, what, it would be, what would it be like if on an unknown week, someone walked into Kingsway Evangelical Church as a secret church shopper to see what it was like as a newcomer to your church? You didn't know who it was. You didn't know when it was. And they did that. And they took notes and they made reflections and they reported it back to you. I wonder how they would find it at Kingsway. Uh, this is actually something that happens. Uh, I mean, I think everything weird happens in the U.S. So this actually happens in the U.S. I think some people actually go as, maybe they're even employed as secret church shoppers. Uh, and this is the report of, of one uh, secret church shopper. Uh, he said, my favorite part of any secret shopper visit is to celebrate what's done well. And nothing makes my heart happier than when I run into volunteers who love God and serve their church with a smile and open arms. This past weekend, I was able to reconnect with two of the best volunteers I've ever encountered in all my secret shopper visits. Wow, that's, that's a big praise, isn't it? Linda and her husband, Harrod have been greeting at First Baptist Church Jacksonville for decades. All right, those of you at the front door doing welcoming ministry, these guys have been doing it for decades. They greeted me during my first visit to the church. They took the time to walk me around, answered all my questions, asked me to sit with them once they realized that I was alone, and even offered to take me to lunch after the service. I couldn't help but just love them. It's been three years since our first encounter, and they are still serving with smiles, open arms, and hearts welcoming newcomers, and making them feel like longtime family friends. Every time I visit a new church, I secretly hope to find someone as hospitable as them. Honestly, I don't remember one point of the sermon from my first visit, but I remember how good I felt about being there because of how well I was treated by Linda and Harrod. Welcoming is a tremendously important practical issue for churches, yeah? I will bet that when you guys were still, those who were part of the core group, getting ready to plant, that that was one of the key things you would have tried to nail down, right? How to make sure the welcoming was really welcoming. It's an important practical issue. But did you know that welcoming is actually even more importantly a theological issue? Have you thought of that? It's not just a practically important issue. It's a theologically important issue. You see this, our success or failure as church communities actually reflects what we really believe about God. An unwelcoming church 
at the end of the day, is a theologically deficient church. The stakes are that high. And I'll tell you why it is a theological issue before it is a practical issue. It's because our welcome comes from God's welcome. That's why. It actually starts with God. So, a few points. John chapter 4 is one of my favorite encounters of Jesus in the Bible. And I wish we had time just to go through the chapter because there's a lot there, but I'm just going to kind of bounce off it. Um, But what I love about this, just a big picture is, um, we read it earlier and you probably know it. Like this woman thought that she was being asked to be hospitable. Okay. Jesus asked for her a drink, asked her for a drink. She thought she was the one being asked to be hospitable. But in fact, all along, Jesus was setting her up because he was going to welcome her, right? Uh, you do know that anytime Jesus asks a question, he already knows the answer. And uh, when he asked her multiple questions here, he was setting her up for something. He wanted to welcome her. And the end of the story, we didn't read these verses, but if you go all the way to uh, verses 39 to 41, the Samaritan village that she belongs to, they end up welcoming Jesus and his disciples. And the whole reason why they welcome Jesus and his disciples is because Jesus first welcomed her and welcomed them. And that is the logic of the gospel. You've got to understand what God asks of us is utterly impossible unless you've experienced it first from him. Yeah, that goes with anything. That's the the logic of the gospel. Um, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because what? He first loved us. You see, unless God's love breaks you, unless God's love melts you and remakes you, you will never be able to love the way that God calls you to love. Christianity is the only major religion that says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. How can you do that? Well, you can't do that unless you've recognized that at the end of the day, you were God's enemy and God has loved you. That you were a blasphemer, a cursor of God, whom God has blessed. You see, it all starts with what God has done for us. Reminds us, again, doesn't it, that Christianity is not about moral self-improvement. You cannot become more Christian. A lot of other religions are about self-improvement, or you can sort of level up. You know, you can become a better Buddhist. You can become a more devout Muslim. Christianity actually starts with a radical born-again experience. You experience God's love and grace to you, and then it sets off a chain reaction that leaves no behavior unturned. It's not something that you do. Right? That's the gospel. That's where it starts. We must receive before we can give. And so we need to learn from God's welcome. And John chapter 4 is a, a pretty good model of what God does for us through what Jesus did for this Samaritan woman. So first thing is, God's welcome is barrier breaking. There are so many barriers being broken by Jesus. And that's why this woman was so shocked. Um, Chapter 4, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the author, John, explains, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In that one verse you see a bunch of barriers. First barrier is racial. The translation, at least the NIV, isn't quite strong enough. Literally, it says, Jews do not use the same dishes as Samaritans. The bit in brackets. Not just they don't associate. They wouldn't even use the same dishes. It's like apartheid. Yeah, you guys know about the apartheid policy. 
in South Africa for decades or the caste system in India. It's the don't touch, don't associate, don't intermarry, don't even sit in the same part of the room. That was the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. And the reason is because Samaritans were descended from racially and religiously compromised former Israelites, okay? So that, that's a huge first barrier, racial. The second barrier is, of course, gender. She says, you're a Jewish man and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Jewish men don't even converse with Jewish women in public, let alone a Samaritan woman. Third barrier, religious. Samaritans have set up alternative worship and they have an alternative Bible. Now, in Australia, that's generally no big deal. We've got lots of religions and stuff like that. But think about countries where slight religious differences have meant bloodshed. So Ireland a generation ago, but even you know Sunni versus Shiite Muslims, right? other countries where like just slight differences, whether it's Protestant, Catholic, Shiite, Sunni, actually means bloodshed. That was the situation when it came to religious barriers between Samaritans and Jews. And then number four, moral barrier. Why did the woman come out to draw water on her own in the middle of the day. You don't do that in the hot Palestinian sun. And you don't do that as a woman on your own. Jesus, of course, knew because even among her own people, she was an outcast. And she was an outcast because of her, well, it came out in conversation, didn't it? She's had five husbands and the one she's with now is not even her husband. She makes Britney Spears look moral. Now, do you see why she was so astounded? See, it was difficult for her to welcome Jesus, not because of who Jesus was, but because of who she was. Now, I'm talking to a pretty big group, and maybe you're here and you feel like this, that deep down inside you do wonder, why would Jesus love me? Why would Jesus welcome me? I I don't even like me. That's how you feel. Well, I, I hope you know there is good news for you. That in the shoes of this Samaritan woman, you'll be able to find that Jesus does love you and welcome you. But it's true. Some people feel like this. But I gather that probably many of you don't feel like this. But I want to tell you this. Whether or not we feel like we don't deserve Jesus' welcome... The objective reality is that we are all like this. In in some ways, we all have to see ourselves in the shoes of the Samaritan woman because the barriers that we have with each other are tiny compared with the big barriers that all stand between us and God. Yeah? I mean, you talk about distance. You want to talk about barriers? Why should the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, welcome any of us? Think about it. Firstly, we're we're dust. (laughs) He is divine. Our lives are just a breath. He never had a beginning or an end. We're limited by ability, by understanding, by power. He's infinite in every way. You know those big omnis? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Just by being God, He is so far above us. But then most of all, the Bible says that sin is the biggest barrier between us and God, right? I mean, we can compare and take comfort that we're not as bad as this woman or the person out on the streets, but compared with God, I mean, He's so holy that 
even a speck of sin would burn up in his presence. He dwells, the Bible says, in unapproachable light. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're so full of darkness. I mean, are there barriers? You bet there are barriers. Should God welcome any of us? Absolutely no. And yet he does. He broke every barrier to come to us. That's the first thing we learn about God's welcome. It is barrier-breaking. The second, it is is initiative-taking. Verse 4 said Jesus had to go via Samaria. He was going from the south, Judea, to the north, where he's from Galilee. It says he had to go through Samaria. The truth is, if you were a Jew, you would not go through Samaria. You just wouldn't. You'd take a detour. Every Jew would have taken a detour. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? Because Jesus had an encounter that day. He knew that he had to have this conversation with a Samaritan woman. He was taking the initiative. But even more than that, you see, Jesus asks her for water. But actually, you read on, and we read before, all along, Jesus wanted to give her water. And that's why he probes her with those awkward, uncomfortable questions about her past. It's not to condemn her, but to draw her out, to expose her, to show her that she needs what only he can give her. And then he gives it to her, living water. That's initiative taking, right? Now, Jesus is offering the same to us all, and he has taken the initiative to do that. Now, if you've become a Christian, if you've become a follower of Jesus, from a human point of view, you might think, well, that was when I started searching for God. But the truth is, the Bible says you couldn't have begun searching for God if he hadn't started searching for you first. It's like Jesus, when he meets that short guy, tax collector Zacchaeus, remember? Jesus goes up to him and he takes the initiative and says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm having dinner at your place tonight. It's like Jesus' parable of the father in the parable of the lost sons. The father is waiting for the son out the front gate. And when the son comes home, he runs to his son. He takes the initiative. He doesn't even let his son finish the confession that the son had spent so long preparing. You remember that story? The father is initiative taking. This is God. God in Jesus welcomes us by taking the initiative. So that's the second thing we learn about God's welcome. The third is that it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. You see, the Gospel of John is one of the, I think, one of the greatest Gospels. I mean, they're all great. But John I love because little details, by the way, are the key to this Gospel. Um, Verse 6, it says that Jesus was tired. Now, you might just think, that's not a big detail. Jesus is tired, of course. Have a think about that. Jesus was tired. I mean, didn't we just talk about how God was omni-everything? Omnipotent, you know, omniscient, all-powerful, divine. And yet Jesus is time. So here is the wonder of God's barrier-breaking, initiative-taking welcome. Just to remind us again that God actually became a man. He became fully man. The infinite became finite. That's why he was tired, because he became a man. That's what it took for God to break every barrier. He actually crossed barriers between heaven and earth, between divine and human. Do you see? What a barrier-breaking God. But that's a sacrifice. Um, Also, there's more. That detail of living water. 
Living water is a symbol of eternal life. It's talking about the kind of life that really fulfills, the kind of life that really satisfies. It's what this woman was looking for, what she was looking for in all the wrong places. She wanted husbands. She wanted love. She wanted acceptance. And she couldn't find it. That's why she kept chopping and changing husbands. And Jesus knew that was what she was longing for all this time. And it's what we're all looking for, all of us. And none of our substitutes, it may not be husbands in our cases, but they can never fulfill Jesus offers living water. Now, how does Jesus in the Gospel of John give living water? Here is a really interesting detail in the Gospel of John. Go to the end of John. Jesus is being crucified. He is on the cross. There's that moment, do you remember, where the soldier takes a spear and pierces his side. And, it, and John is the only one that writes this. What comes out of Jesus' side? Blood and water. Now, there are medical reasons supposedly for that, but John is a symbolic writer. He also wants to make a point. That water flowed out of Jesus' side along with the blood. You see, how does Jesus offer living water in the Gospel of John? Through the shedding of his blood on the cross. Eternal life cost the eternal one his life. It took the sacrifice of Jesus to give her, to give us living water. Because that biggest barrier we talked about of sin, that needed the shedding of blood to overcome. And Jesus took sin in our place on the cross when he died for us. In his death, his sacrificial death is the living water that we need. And by the way, can I just stop here and say, if you haven't understood that, really grappled with that, if that hasn't sunk into your heart, and deep down inside you know you haven't yet given your life to trust in Jesus and follow Him because of what He's done for you. Hey, maybe tonight is the night, hey? I don't know if, if you've been searching for a long time. I don't know if you've just been kind of muddling your way through church. I don't know if you've been investigating. I don't know if people even know you're not yet a follower of Jesus deep down inside. You haven't been born again. Whatever the reason, if you haven't, if you're not sure, tonight may be the night. Because understanding this changes everything, doesn't it? That God would do that for you. That God is offering you in Jesus living water. That He loves you that much. And that his living water came at such a cost. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to any of your pastors. That's the third one, sacrificial. Number four, uh, transforming. We already mentioned that Jesus' welcome for the woman changed everything, changed her and her entire community. Um, let me show you the end of the chapter. It says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now I want you to know there is an order. The welcome came before the transformation, yeah? The welcome came before the transformation. In fact, the welcome brings about the transformation. See, often our churches get this wrong, don't they? Often churches, people's perception of Christianity and religion is that transformation must come before welcome, yeah? Often people think, you, I can't come as I am. Often people think the church communicates, you've got to become like us, and then you're allowed to come, right? Whereas Jesus says, no, 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 you come as you are. Broken as you are. Hurt as you are. Hateful of God as you are even. Rebellious as you are. Come as you are, but know that my welcome will transform you. Come as you are. But once you meet me, you won't stay as you are. Let me transform you with my love from the inside out through my welcome. But it's 
welcome, then transformation. Okay, so that's what, four things we learn from God's welcome. And so when we're talking about being a welcoming church, that is what needs to overflow into your welcome as Kingsway. See, what kind of church you want to belong to? It's got to be a church overflowing with the welcome you yourselves have received from God. So firstly, it's got to be gospel-centered welcome. It needs to start with the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. starts with your experience of God's mercy and grace. So the starting point is always, how have I been welcomed by God? And hopefully today, John 4 has shown you or reminded you of lots of ways you've been welcomed. And then when you really let that sink in, then how do I let it overflow to others? See, the gospels, when it's, gospel-centered welcome, it's intensely other person-centered. It causes us to think like God does, like He does in the gospel. We think, where's that, where's that person at? How would they feel? It's other person-centered. Um, because I think it's, it's really easy to forget once you've been at a church for a while, and you, you guys are still fairly new church plants, so it's not going to be as evident, but give us some time. You forget after a while what it's like being a newcomer, right? I don't know if, how recently you've visited a church where you know no one. Not even just as a secret church shopper. Just the last time you went to a church and you knew no one. Do you, do you remember what that was like? It's hard, isn't it? Even a great church. Gospel-centered welcome makes us take the initiative to cross barriers to welcome them. Even if it costs us. Because we understand that this kind of welcome reflects God's welcome that we ourselves receive. And the kind of welcome that actually will transform a person. So we want gospel-centered welcome. Uh, secondly, we want a welcoming culture. You can't be a welcoming church if only a few people who are the volunteers at the door are welcoming. You actually need to have a welcoming culture, which means whether you are a member, whether you are a regular, whether you are a relatively new person, you are all what part of what creates this culture. So you need to look around, and I hope you're doing it this weekend, but this is sort of easy because everyone here on this weekend really wants to be here. But, uh, but even on this weekend, but especially on a Sunday, look around and ask yourself, who is, who is on their own? Who looks new? Who looks like they need a hello, a conversation? Who looks lost when it comes to singing and Bible reading? They don't know where to turn, and they don't know what to look at, and they don't know what to sing, and they don't know when to stand and when to sit. Well, take the initiative to meet to agree, to invite. Don't wait until the welcomers do it. Don't wait until your pastors do it. Every person can do it. Um, there's a really helpful mindset that, I, that if every single person of my church had and if every single person of your church had, it would be incredible. And this mindset is this. Anytime you see a person at church on their own, it is an emergency. Right? You ditch the conversations you have with someone, especially if it's someone who's your friend, and you make sure you rush over and greet them and welcome them. It can be a little bit awkward because sometimes newcomers come to my church and it's like, <laughs> everyone's rushing towards them. But better that than they're standing going, what's going on? Okay? And um, by the way, you can't do this. Um, welcoming becomes really hard. Creating welcoming culture is really hard if you're not there early. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but new people generally come on time. And it's regulars that come late. Right? And so new people come and they're like, what's going on? Why is this church so empty? No one's welcoming me. I'm just going to sit in a seat by myself. But if the regulars all came early, expecting that new people would come early or probably on time 
or even if they came late, you'll be there to be able to notice them, right? So you've got to come on time. It, it really helps. Or actually, you've got to come early. Okay. A welcoming culture. Thirdly, let's talk about breaking down barriers. A welcoming church realizes that there are many barriers, right? There's going to be many barriers. Welcoming and gospel-centered people think, well, it's not for them to break barriers to become like me. It's for me to take the initiative to be like them. Remember, we're looking at God's welcome, setting the example, barrier-breaking, initiative-taking, sacrificial, transforming. I've got to take the initiative to break barriers, not wait for them to be like me. Now, I want to take an aside and talk about a possible objection that some of you might feel, and that is that Kingsway, your church, is ethnically pretty monocultural, a Korean-dominated church. You come from Korean church. And you might be thinking, how can we break down the most obvious barrier, which is the ethnic one? Isn't it a bit hypocritical talking about barrier-breaking when we're kind of like ethnically monocultural? Now, in reaction to that, it's easy to be ashamed to deny your roots, to try to be that church that is more like the Anglo churches in your neighborhood. And maybe if I become more like them, then we can be better at breaking down barriers. But I kind of want to push against that slightly because that is generally a a very common reaction for, for anyone who's grown up in an ethnic church. And you react against it and you feel some sort of shame, feel bad, you feel guilty. Um, and you don't realize that Actually, your average Anglo church is mostly also reaching people like them, and they're not great at crossing barriers themselves. And the other thing it does is it becomes a collective way of being ashamed and embarrassed about how God has made you, about being Korean, about being migrants in a Western country. And, 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 you know, I'm a migrant, son, son of a migrant. I know what it's like to carry that, to always feel like, I'm not good enough, or I'm a little bit embarrassed, I'm a little bit ashamed. And if you, especially if you've come from an ethnic church, you feel doubly ashamed. But I want just to change our mindset a little. We can actually be thankful for, God ha- for how God has made us, how God has put you here. And I mean that you collectively, not just made you individually, but made you as a church with a particular history that you've had as Kingsway coming out of a Korean church that God has actually planned that, that there's something that God ordained about that. Now, it doesn't mean you never break out of that, but you want to start thanking God first before feeling ashamed, don't you? You want to think, God has put me here. God has put us here for a particular reason. He's given you a particular skin color and experiences, and that might actually serve His purposes really well or better. You see, your church, and the reason why I'm talking to you about this is because a little bit like my church, we came out of the Chinese church, right? We may never be like the local churches around us in terms of ethnicity or makeup. But you know what? If, if Christian churches are all collectively going to reach the whole of Australia, with all of the migrant communities that are now in our suburbs, I'll tell you what, we don't all want to be like the local churches around us. See, being a migrant, an ethnic church, means that you are much more able to welcome other migrant communities, even non-Korean ones. Much better at that than the average local church in the suburbs. Because there is something common about the migrant experience that, quite frankly, non-migrants don't get. Okay? And missiology, so missionary, uh, missionaries know this. They know this well. This is how they do mission work overseas. They know about trying to find closer cultures in order to reach cultures that are unreached. Do, Do you know what I mean? They have E1, E2, E3, E4. Ask me about that during question time. 
But actually, when you realize God has made us a certain way, He's given us certain advantages, a certain history, you start seeing that there are people that I can reach, that King's Way can reach, that my local churches around us in the suburbs may not be able to reach. So give you an example. At my church, Southwest Evangelical Church, one of our congregations is in Bankstown. I'll tell you what, it's pretty hard to try and reach Lebanese and Indians and Africans who are also in Bankstown. But I'll tell you what, it is a little easier for my church to do that than the local Anglican church. And we've seen us do that. We, when we planted Bankstown, we were predominantly second-generation Chinese, but we wanted to help reach second-generation Vietnamese. We didn't have any Vietnamese until I started core grouping. But I thought there was a need there for second-generation Vietnamese people, and it wasn't really being done very well amongst non-Vietnamese churches, and Vietnamese churches were really struggling. Now, we're not Vietnamese, but we're that much closer, half a step at least, closer. So why don't we have a go at doing it? Do you see what I mean? Like, it can be like that. And I don't know what it means for you guys. And so I want to I kind of propose a real, a real, a non-superficial breaking down of barriers is actually what the big C church is supposed to do. Churches all around our country, if we're to reach Australia, and we each have to play our part. No one church can do it all. And perhaps the challenge for Kingsway is to find one of those barriers that other churches struggle even more to cross and prayerfully work out how you can do what others can't. So this is a different way of thinking. Rather be ashamed and just trying to be like everyone else, try and think, how has God made us and what can we do with what God has given us? You kind of see the mindset change? You're still going to be asked to break barriers, initiative take. It's still going to be sacrificial, but it's going to come from a different place. And I want to argue we actually need that if we're going to reach Australia, okay? All right, that was a long point and a long kind of uh, uh, tangent. But let me come back to uh, the fourth and final thing about overflowing to our welcome, and that is an obvious one. Community happens outside of Sunday gatherings, okay? No one who connects with people just once a week on a Sunday is really going to feel part of that community. And so we want to invite, we want to enfold people into our growth groups. And I'm sure you guys know that. And if you're not part of a growth group um, and you're not regular at a growth group, join one. It's really important. And I'll talk a bit more tomorrow morning about um, doing life together. Um, Sunday church is for us coming together, corporate worship, engagement with God. But remember, it is we gather and then we scatter. It is the catalyst for life outside of our gatherings. Right? It's where we fill up so that we might overflow. And so the welcome needs to extend beyond the hour and a half that you have on a Sunday. It's got to flow into the rest of your week. And I'll, as I said, I'll do, uh, cover that a little bit more about life together. Now, let me conclude. Um, statistics tell us that if half of those who walk into any church, right, just walk through the door, just kind of people who come along, invited, or they just kind of find you and decide to walk. If only half of the people walk through your doors as a church stayed, your church would double in number every year. That's actually statistics. If only half who walk through your doors stayed, you would double in number every year. Do you want your church to grow? Be a welcoming church. But more than that, okay, that's just statistics. That's just about numbers. More than that, people are longing for this, for welcome. They're longing for not just your welcome, but they're longing for the gospel's welcome. 
God's welcome that God uses you to communicate and, exp- and express and display. Now, I started by talking about the secret shopper. Uh, and I can say, look, honestly, from what I've experienced just this weekend from you guys, I think you'd be given top marks. Honestly, you guys have been super welcoming. It's been wonderful. I would happily recommend people to come to Kingsway. But I'll tell you what, though. In some ways, that's not really testing your welcome, is it? I mean, firstly, I'm the guest speaker. I even look Korean. I'm pretty much like you, okay? It's not that hard. But what if? What if I'm nothing like you? And then I walk in. What if, well, what if this real situation happened? Two lesbians decided to go to church one Sunday to expressly disrupt and upset Christians. This is a true story. You read it. Amy told her girlfriend, let's just go for fun. We'll see how much we can push their buttons. I hear their motto is, come as you are. (laughs) I just want to prove this means come as you are unless you're gay. So Amy and her girlfriend went to church, not to learn, but to provoke. They flirted in front of everyone. They held hands. They made it very clear that they were gay. Imagine if Amy and her girlfriend walked into your church. Well, how did the church that they visited respond? Well, this is how this church that Amy and her girlfriend went to responded. Amy recalls, this is her words, instead of the disgusted looks of contempt we expected, people met eyes with us and treated us like real people. See, they expected, as the gay community often does, expected Christians to treat them like abominations, monsters, a subspecies of the human race, extra, extra sinful. Instead, they were actually welcomed. And that's why Amy's story has a happy ending. She ended up breaking up with her girlfriend, but she kept coming back to church. The more that she was accepted, the more she returned. The more she returned, the more she was accepted. Amy got converted. She became a Christian. Her whole life changed. The transformation did come. And all because she experienced a welcome like no other at a church she came to troll. And I do welcome, I do wonder, would our churches be like that if we were put to the test? It can only happen if we begin with the welcome that we ourselves have received, yeah? Why don't we get the band up? We're going to respond in song in a moment. And uh, maybe instead of responding by, you know, everyone praying um, on their own, I might get you to, yeah, we got time. I might get you to just turn to the people around you, not, not big groups, maybe three or four. And why don't you pray for the culture of welcome in your own heart, but also for your church, yeah? That'd be a great thing to do. Pray together in small groups. Um, don't spend all your time sharing prayer points. Just huddle and just begin praying, okay? Um, that way we can maximize the time we've got to pray. Pray for your church. Pray for your own heart. Pray for the welcome. Give thanks for the welcome you've received from God. Um, pray that you would be a welcoming person in your own life. Um, that would overflow. Pray that your church, Kingsway, would be a welcoming community. Pray that if an Amy and a girlfriend ever came to your midst, that they would receive this kind of welcome. That would change it. Pray for these things. We'll spend a few minutes doing that and then we'll uh, we'll sing.
Okay, just start praying, guys. Just start praying. It's where you are with the groups of God. Just start praying.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you welcomed us. That it was barrier-breaking, initiative-taking, sacrificial, and so transforming. Continue to, even as we sing, even this weekend as we remind ourselves of the preciousness of the gospel, continue to shape us through that welcome. Because the more that we swim in the delights in the ocean of your welcome, the more that it will just naturally overflow. And so I pray for Kingsway that this would be a body of Christ that is so committed to being like Christ in his welcome. This would be a body of Christ so attractive and so beautiful that it would be even to outsiders a reflection of the dearest place. No matter who they are, no matter what skin color, what background, what race, what gender, what sins they carry, what burdens, that they would find people here ready to extend to them the welcome of the gospel. Because we know, Father, that this world so sorely needs to know your welcome, but that you choose, as we've seen so many times this week, and you choose to use us. And so use Kingsway, I pray. Jesus. Amen. Let's see.